Hey everybody, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development, and it's our privilege to have with us John Danes, who's the founder of Project. Good morning, John. Morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, great to see you. You have such an interesting background in emergency management and creative technology and defense and all sorts of things. So I would love to hear about your experiences and how you became interested in emergency management. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I, I I do have a kind of a strange background. Um, I started my career, uh, actually, oddly enough, uh, I studied um, uh, strategic uh, international relations, strategic studies uh, in university, um, specifically Soviet studies, not to date myself too much there, but uh, I ended up becoming a designer and worked uh, for a small uh, company that that grew and became a creative director and owner of the company. And um, I ended up leveraging technology to uh, kind of extend our craft, if you will, got into display technologies. We were creating um, some of the original kind of OpenGL and 3D visualization type of technologies. Somehow that uh, translated into um, creating a mobile app that uh, we kind of built on a whim for, for a friend in the defense industry. And it was a very simple tool that allowed a, a SATCOM operator uh, anywhere in the world to bring out their phone and quickly calculate look angles uh, to a satellite. And we even included a feature where you could hold the phone up and visualize where that satellite was in the sky. And it, it actually started uh, our company, Cool Fire Solutions, just based off that one app. Uh, and what it represented was, um, you know, in the defense industry, and, and literally we had no idea this was an issue. Um, you know, the guys that don't have the training in SATCOM that are sent out into the field and, hey, set up this antenna and call home, uh, it's difficult that you have to do some calculations, You there's spreadsheets mm. involved. Uh, so now with a simple app, all those calculations were done for them. They could understand it. They didn't need training. And that opened my eyes, uh, certainly, to the power of technology uh, and even design uh, in enabling um, even even complex jobs such as, uh, you know, SATCOM communications uh, and, and defense in general. So that's kind of how it all started. So you've got this interesting connection of commercial and creative and emergency response or, or preparedness. Um, tell us about project and starting project and some of the other things you've done. Sure. Yeah, I, uh, I left uh, Cool Fire Solutions about uh, last December. Um, but, you know, what, what I was looking to do uh, was go back to some of uh, our roots uh, as Cool Fire in the military and defense sector. And that includes, I would, I would also include emergency management in that. Um, so for example, one of my current clients, uh, we work in Central Asia with a border service. Um, this has all of the hall, you know, earmarks, I would say, or hallmarks uh, rather, of an emergency management type situation where you have a, a very active and dangerous border in a Central Asian country managed by a small force of people that never know what's going to happen next. 
and it ranges from routine daily operations such as patrolling to suddenly uh, an incident, uh, a security threat, um, you know, humanitarian um, issues that come up. And so what I do is uh, uh, my specialty is in situational awareness technologies. So I have been working on increasing the uh, response capabilities of a small uh, force in this instance, where um, uh, they have many sensors out in the field, uh, which have created actually somewhat of a burden. The more sensors you have, now the more incidents you have that you have to go check out. Right. What ends up happening, and this, again, I think extends to anywhere in emergency management as we add technology. Well, we have sensors everywhere. Well, how are we going to manage it with the same amount of people we've always had? Mm. Right. So, um, you know, what I'm focused on is how do we improve the uh, quality of sensor uh, hits? Uh, how do we improve the response capability of a small uh, force or, or at least a, a static force that isn't going to get some magic funding um, anytime soon? Um, right. And again, that's where technology has created some of these problems, but technology is a solution for some of these problems. Yeah, that's really interesting about the quality of the the technology or the technology providing a quality and a quantity of information that's that's yes. great wonderful but then you need to do something with that and emergency right. responders are always training they're always upgrading their skills learning yes. new technologies um but that 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 expectation then of having to respond must be quite a burden. Tell us about this um situational awareness and why it's important and why it's important to you. Uh, yes. So situational awareness is sort of the, um, in my view, has a potential to be an equalizer in almost any emergency management situation, because what it represents is um, uh, it, it, it's really about improving the human factor um, and the quality of the human factor, because it's not that, you know, you, you might take a, a, in a disaster response, say things are going very slowly are they're having issues, uh, they're logistical, or they're not getting to people in need. Typically, you can trace all of those issues back to a simple problem, which is nobody knew what was going on. So in a, in a very uh, uh, brief way to put it is situational awareness is about understanding what's going on. At a more technical level, I guess, in the emergency management world, um, is the uh, kind of OODA loop scenario, right? So OODA is the uh, observe, uh, orient, decide, and act. Uh, so this is an old mil US military maxim actually developed for fighter pilots, but it, it really extends anywhere. You have to be able to observe something. Um, you know, you have to be able to uh, make a decision quickly and take an action. Um, so that's what situational awareness does. It allows you to take observation, orient yourself to that observation. So for example, okay, great. Where did it happen? Where are our people? Uh, where are our assets and resources? Uh, it allows you to make a decision because you can plainly see any of the information that is available, which may include some of those people on the ground that you're collating information from, and then action where you can 
not only decide what has to happen, but um, move those assets or resources, bring in the right people, as opposed mm -hmm. to maybe people, you know, you don't want to bring a bunch of uh, policemen to a fire uh, necessarily. I'm sure they do fine, but it's not the desirable outcome. Mm -hmm. um, so, so to me, you know, uh, looking at it from both those angles, it, it, it's as simple as, you know, how do we improve the human element, um, assist the human element with decision support, and then give them a way to quickly communicate with one another to affect an outcome. Hmm. Now, I connected with you because you wrote a really interesting article uh, about flooding. Yeah. And I just want to bring that up on the screen so that people can make sure that they can find it. And so can you see that on the screen there? Yep. Fantastic. So this is an article that John wrote in 2019 about uh, effective flood fighting and technology and something that really stood out. There's a very handsome photo of a, your boss right there. And so when we look at this graphic, 98% of U.S. counties have flooded. And I wanted to ask, is this something that is new or is this just because of the location, the climate of the states or is it becoming more extreme at, the, at this point in time? Yeah, in fairness, I think that statistic is really more um, uh, representative of not of how we define flooding, uh, as opposed to, you know, what we may consider a traditional flood. I live in St. Louis, Missouri, which is pretty much the flood capital of the United States. Um, live right in the Mississippi River, which is you know a massive river. Mm. Uh, luckily, I live on a hill, so it's not that big of a deal. But, uh, you know, what what we were looking at and, and by the way, I got involved in this uh, in flooding in particular because of a, a joint exercise we did with DHS uh, and a couple other organizations uh, here in St. Louis. Um, uh, you know, we have uh, NGA here, the uh, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency is located in St. Louis, and they have sponsored a, a massive amount of geospatial technology companies in the area. So we had a group of geospatial companies. We had uh, like such as Esri. Um, uh, we had OGC, which is an international consortium that promotes standards uh, for emergency management. So data and technical standards. Uh, and, you know, we learned, I learned a lot about flooding at that time. And one of the things I learned was that flooding is in the United States, we have such a geographically diverse country hmm. uh, that that yes, we you know uh, because of the abundance of of waterways and, and systems in the country, you know, uh, flooding is just a natural thing that happens. But the um, it's different than other disasters in that you cannot stop a flood. There really is no way to stop a flood, right? It, it is going to happen if if the river crests, uh, if the dam breaks, uh, et cetera. Um, you know, there are ways to stop fires. There are ways to stop uh, uh, you harden against hurricanes, but you really can't stop a flood. So floods are all about response. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it. And, mm. and they also, when we look at flood response in the United States, it also highlights some of the challenges that emergency managers have. Um, in particular, 
you know, is, I'm sure this is true everywhere, but you have local agencies and, and authorities, you have state and you have federal. Um, and you're talking about a lot of silos trying to work next to one another. Mm. Um, you know, so one of the challenges here, and in this affects almost every county in the country, how do those agencies work together? Because, um, you know, in a big flood, you're going to have all of them there. Um, In the article, John, you talk about technology and the role of technology. I'm just going to bring that section up there. And I thought these um, your emphasis on technology, and again, you talked about the the Asian border and the ability of technology to give more information. You mentioned some technologies in this article here, which I thought were really interesting. And, and do you see technology as a response to flood as critical, or is it more of a human factor that's the most important? Um, I, I see technology through the lens of how it augments human response, right? We're, we're never going to have, uh, you know, a great example is probably the most exciting area of technology today is, uh, AI ML technologies. Mm -hmm. Um, it's also probably the most misunderstood area of technology in the world. And, and for good reason, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around how to, how do these, how does artificial intelligence or machine learning really help? Um, when you look at the really effective applied AI ML technologies like computer vision, it starts to become more clear. So for example, and we're doing this today uh, on the border in, in Central Asia, uh, we're using uh, AI ML to uh, do everything from terrain following with drones so now I can fly a drone anywhere. And by the way, I don't have to have an expert drone operator on, on my staff or in my unit because he can now point to a point on the map and say, go to there and take pictures and come back. Um, and that's because of AI ML technologies. Another example would be in the flooding scenario. Um, you know, we, in that article, I talk a lot about uh, how, you know, sensors are very important and so are data and analytics. Um, because you as an emergency manager, you wanna know what is going to happen next. Uh, as the waters rise, what areas of the city, for example, and we, we did this a lot in our uh, exercise with DHS, um, what areas of the city are under threat next? Not just what is under threat now where we need to send people to, to, to help uh, citizens, um, who should we be getting out of neighborhoods next? And AIML is a massive leap forward in the ability to analyze all that many data points coming in from sensors, from historical data, et cetera, from weather reports in real time, synthesize that data and tell a human being, get people out of this area and then point to it on a map. Hmm. You know, previously that it, those, those are experts; those are people right. doing that that grind. But now you have technologies that can do some of that heavy lifting for you, so that humans can do what they do best, which is not data analysis. It is right. what humans do best is make decisions about what to do with that analysis. 
And just to check for those of us who are, who are not as clever as you, when you say ML, you mean machine learning, is that right? Yes, sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, right. and the two are synonymous because uh, AI is such a misleading term. Uh, you know, we, we train, we create models for these systems to, to look at and understand uh, and how to interpret the world. Um, and the growth in, in machine learning, uh, you know, you could go online today and find a model for almost any data set that, that you're interested in from, you know, detecting cancer and x-rays to floods, uh, you know, flood modeling. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big area of growth. And again, it's not, it's not a technology, and no, I don't think any technology really does this. Technology does not solve the problem. Technology helps people solve problems. Mm. And that's why, you know, when I talk about situational that's awareness, good. you know, I think that's really important for, for your students to, to think about that, uh, you know, it's really about how do we augment the human element as opposed to replace the human element because it's just not going to happen. Hmm. In your article, you mentioned situational awareness and drones as well, uh, flood mapping technology and also um, connective technology. What are some of the new developments in connective technology that we may not be aware of that you think are promising? Well, there, there's a couple uh Really, in the last 10 years, there's been a, a I, I would call a democratization of radio uh, and, and SATCOM, for that matter. Um, SATCOM was extremely expensive in the early 2000s. Um, but, you know, now we have um, companies like Viasat and Inmarsat and massive global SATCOM companies uh, that have put up constellations of routers in space and they've made it easy where uh i, I believe you know you're you're even seeing some of these sat uh, uh these satcom technologies in the cell phone market um you know if you if you just flash back 10 years ago that was you know two thousand dollars a month to own an iridium you know uh sat phone uh well you know, now there's talk about having uh, uh, SATCOM antennas on iPhones. So uh, you're, you're seeing a, a revolution in SATCOM, mm -hmm. I believe, in SATCOM service. And then uh, uh, on the radio side, uh, and, and they're not necessarily new technologies, but um, uh, IoT, uh, Internet of Things, um, product space has introduced a whole new wave of radio technologies. Um, we're using some... Uh, out in the field now where we, we actually created a custom radio and it's using an industrial IOT radio. Uh, I'll categorize it as super Wi-Fi. You know, it's like a 900 megahertz radio that has a lot of reach. And, uh, but it can do one to two megabits uh, a second, uh, you know, in bandwidth. Um, again, you go back 10 years and that was unheard of. You you, you just couldn't do that sort of thing affordably. Uh, now you can buy those radios for under $1,000. So for emer what that means for emergency management is all of these new technologies, uh, you know, that can augment 
people on the ground when communications go down, when the, when the mm. regular normal day-to-day infrastructure goes down. Mm. It, it, and Craig, you probably remember uh, in the U.S. there was a massive effort after 9-11 to, uh, you know, replace all the radios among our first responders across the country. And we're all going to get on the same radio plan and federal, state and local are all going to have shared frequencies and et cetera. We've spent billions of dollars on that and we don't have, you know, we don't have that. But the market miraculously has provided that, you know, on its own in a much cheaper way uh, organically. So, you know, technologies like LoRa, uh, if you're familiar with that. Uh, Tell us about that. LoRa is uh, long range, low power radios, again, developed more for this IoT or industrial applications. Very small bandwidth, but you can pop up LoRa anywhere you want. Again, long range, low power. Um, you know, you do not need to have a generator running to power a LoRa uh, base station. Um, you could do it off uh, re- really any any battery. Uh, you know, other mesh technologies. Uh, there's some really good commercial uh, technologies sold as camping radios, like Gotenna. Um, which we've used with uh, our military customers because they've allowed quick point-to-point communication of data, which you can imagine, you know, for emergency management, mm-hmm. if you have a, te- a team in the field, maybe they don't need to talk to their, their command station, but they need to talk to one another and share pictures right. and data. Uh, so, you know, we've we've created software over the years to support those users where, they're just isolated in their own closed networks using really inexpensive radios like that. So, yeah, I think communication is key because you're not going to get the situational awareness if you don't have data. Mm. Because um, and then if you have data, that also means you have voice and video as well. Right. Um, because, I mean, all communication is now data um, as opposed to analog. Uh, almost all. Well, this is brilliant. It sees that um, emphasis of situational awareness, uh, improving the ability of humans to respond and using technology to have data and to communicate. And I think that's brilliant. If someone was aspiring, just as we wrap up, if there's someone who's aspiring to be involved in this area, what would you suggest that they do to prepare some learning, some, some knowledge, some understanding or experiences to move into this area, John? Uh, definitely don't follow my path because it's uh, <laughs> it's very random. Um, but you know there are so many companies out there supporting uh, emergency management, um, even from the commercial side. So uh, you know one of the big ones obviously is uh, AWS. Uh, you know Amazon Web Services. They have uh, a, you know a, a huge number of uh, business units focused on this area. Um, all the big telecoms as well. Uh, and, and because of that, you have an ecosystem of smaller, more creative companies trying to sell through those uh, uh, big guys. But, um, you know, it's like any other problem. For example, if, you, if your students are interested in software or user interface design, it's simply a matter of, um, you know, applying that to to these scenarios, understanding, obviously, they're learning about emergency management in school and understanding how do we apply things in my daily life to make 
this job easier for people. Um, you'd be surprised at how many companies have a toe in the water, so to speak, uh, in this area. And it's an, uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, game cameras, so hunting cameras that you would put out in the woods to track animals before you go on a hunt. Uh, game cameras are one of the best-selling sensors in emergency management right now um, because they're inexpensive and they just work because they were built for commercial, you know, regular users. Uh, so you see a lot of these companies, I'm working with one of them right now. They're fantastic. They, they have great technology. It just works. They also sell it for hunting. Uh, but um, yeah, you'd be surprised the more you look, the number of creative applications that are going into this area. So um, maybe experience with telecoms. Um, even people who are interested in UX or interface between technology and people. And then um, that, that connection between recreational and commercial products that could be used to fill a gap for emergency responders. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, and I like talking about drones, of course, uh, because they're fun. But, you know, when you, when you go out to a, a disaster response today, you're going to see a lot of drones flying around and most of them are from people's own personal collection. You know, uh, uh, recently there was a fire here in St. Louis. One of the firefighters ran home, got his uh, drone, his camera drone flew up so that they could uh, evaluate where they needed to uh, attack the fire. And they, wow. they used the footage on the news. But I think that that is sort of the revolution that I talk about the democratization of these technologies mm. Uh, and, and again, it takes a human being to do that. But, um, um, if anything, I'm proof that you don't have to necessarily be an expert to get into the industry. Um, you know, the, uh, it's a very creative field at the end of the day. Mm. Well, John, I really want to thank you for your time, sharing your experiences and sharing this connection between technology and emergency response. If people want to get hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you could visit project.co.co. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm also on LinkedIn and I'm sure that I'll be linked through here, uh, uh, through the video when it gets posted or, or what have you. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody, even to answer questions or just, uh, as you can tell, I like talking. So tell us how to spell project. Oh, sorry. Yes, it is weird. P R O D as in product, J-E-K-T, as in project, .co.co. Well, just for everyone watching, uh, particularly the recording and our emergency management students, uh, there will be the links to John's profile on LinkedIn in the description of the video on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and on YouTube, so you can connect with them there. I'll also have the link to his article about flooding, which I found really, really interesting. And I'll also ask John after this recording uh, what might be some other links. So if there's extra links there, they will be the ones that John suggested. And if um, you're watching this and you're not already part of our 
um, new way of doing emergency response bachelor programs and master's programs, reach out to us at uard.ac.nz or uard.org and we'd love to help you get uh, credit, academic credit for your industry experience and your industry training because as John and I know, emergency managers are always training, always upskilling, yeah. always doing things to make sure that they can save lives and that would be you. And so if you are a trained emergency manager and you don't have a bachelor degree or you aspire to have a master's degree, we'll give you recognition and academic credit for all of that training that you've done. So do reach out to us and do reach out to John if you've got an interest in this area. So thanks for being with us. 